This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to Pardon the Corruption. Uh, my name is Zarar, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Brian Goldfinger, who has been the sponsor of the Raptors Weekly Podcast for years now, uh, joins us uh, post-pandemic, I want to say, post-pandemic. I'm going to dare say that word now, post-pandemic. <laughs> How are you doing, Brian? Hanging in there day by day. What can I say? You know. Let's get into some Raptor talk, man. So if you had to write a headline for this season... Um, what would it be? Season's over. What's the headline? Uh, take it however you want to take it, man. Maybe it's COVID-related. Maybe it's not COVID-related. What's the headline? Terror in Tampa. Um, it'll be a season that will live in infamy. We will never, as rapper fans, forget about this season. Uh, we want to forget about it, but we just won't because uh, the Raptors were in Tampa playing in under weird, weird circumstances where local fans at home games are booing our star players at the foul line, uh, something you wouldn't see. Um, and they're just, they, they didn't get a home game, these guys. And it's very hard for the home fan base in Toronto to connect with a team that's thousands of miles away playing in a completely different climate uh, environment and country. It's difficult, but we will remember it as fans, unfortunately, not for good reasons. Yeah, the Tampa thing was, uh, you know, when the whole thing started, I, in my mind, I was more like, it's going to be kind of like the bubble, right? Because the bubble was fairly well executed, no COVID cases, the games were fun, the bubble part was fun, and the playoffs were fun as well. We had a great series with the Celtics, we lost at the end there. So I was expecting more of that to continue, but that's not really what happened. Things got old really fast. Like, I, I feel that, that that energy that was in the bubble kind of evaporated within the first 15 games in Tampa, and then the season sort of became a slog. Well, the bubble environment, you know, the Raptors had that championship glow in the bubble. And as a Raptor fan, I'd never seen what it was like to defend a championship, and I got to see it, and the Raptors were winning games that they really had no business winning. Uh, they certainly didn't have... They were talented, but they didn't. They, they they overachieved all year, and that went from you know uh, the best player to to the worst players. You know, uh, everybody played great, and Nick Nurse did a great job coaching, and they were a real cohesive unit. And you could tell they wanted to be there. Unlike the Clippers in the bubble season, who I think the Clippers would have better talent. But truth be told, the Clippers, if you recall, uh, Lemon Pepper Will, Lou Will, they they just didn't want to be in the, in the in the bubble. Those guys for whatever reason. Um, so that kind of, that championship shine wore off when you lose, you basically lost, you know, your whole starting, you know, front court, you lose Gasol and you lose Ibaka. Um, and, and it, it, it really made it tough. And we had that gaping hole at the center position. I'm sure we'll get into, yeah. uh, it really made it difficult to compete. And then you had guys like Terrence Davis who came back to earth and, you know, he had other things on his mind going through those criminal charges. I can only imagine what that's like. 
but I think the rest of the team kind of came back to earth. Terrence Davis, uh, Matt Thomas, another good example. Um, and it made it really difficult to compete this year. We just didn't have the talent and didn't have that championship glow. Yeah. Hey, before we get to the center position, and that was a huge talking point really all year long, um, l- let's get to the start of the summer, if you will. And when uh, Messiah was sort of scrambling, maybe trying to make a play for Giannis, didn't get that waited a little too long to get to, to find somebody on the market. Uh, the Ibaka Gasol situation reports came out after it wasn't handled in the most elegant way, mixed emotions on, on all sides on that one. And at the end, you sort of ended up with Baines and then the, the five spots sort of dictated the rest of the season. Before we get to the actual basketball aspect of the center position, how did you react to that initial handling of free agency uh, when dealing, when trying to figure out what the season was going to be out through the through the free agent signings. Yeah, so I, I understood the idea of keeping the powder dry for Giannis because I thought that was a real thing. And then I just found them a bit too reactive and not proactive. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I wanted one of two to stay, whether that was Gasol or Ibaka, and I understood one was going to leave. I think they should have invested heavily into Ibaka uh, I was okay seeing Gasol go, but I understood his value and fans should still understand his value as a defensive center and a, a center who could move the ball. If you look at his defensive numbers this season, when he matches up against, I think their most recent example is against Nikola Jokic uh, for the Nuggets, who's having a great season, but you put Gasol in there and he shut him down. And I think there's a real value to that for any team in the playoffs. If you got to go through, whether it, it, it's Embiid or Jokic, or any other the big guys, just remember what he did to Vucevic, uh, you know, in, in, in the playoffs and, and then Embiid in the second round. Uh, but but having one of the two go, uh, having both go was, was a big hit. And then we had to react, well, who are we going to get to be center? And uh, that was really difficult because Chris Boucher, for his greatness this season, he's, he's overachieved, I think, this season. He's not a true center. You know, he's not beefy enough. You know, he's a string bean. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that but you needed a big guy. And when, when we signed Baines, I was kind of okay with that thinking, all right, he, he was on Phoenix last year, right? Yeah. Phoenix? Yeah. I, I, I thought he had a Celtics, decent Phoenix. Year. You know, he's been around the block. Yeah. I, I thought he had a decent year and I thought he'd come here and be okay. And then when I actually watched him play, uh, he was horrendous. Uh, yeah. he, he was really terrible. And there was a real gaping hole there at center that was obvious to any fan who, who actually followed the team. And then once once we got a competent center in Ken Birch, and I'm not going to tell you Ken Birch is you know uh, the be all and end all of centers, but Ken Birch is a competent NBA center, and you see the the difference that it made with everybody defensively rebounding and even on offense just being positionally sound. It's made a huge difference. So I was a bit disappointed to see both Ibaka and Gasol leave, and then getting Baines was I thought I found just a bit too reactive on that. And then also a weird thing was uh Dewan Hernandez remember we he was like a first round pick late first round and I, I think we we really missed on that pick because our hope was he was to develop into a front court big and had he developed he would have had a great opportunity this year to have thrived with the team but I don't even know if he's still in the, in the league so I think that was a whiff and you can't really miss on those uh those picks at all in the first round yeah and, and I, I was surprised that uh, how much uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but you know, whenever you, whenever you sign a player, you always kind of focus on their offense a little more, what they can do on the offensive side, and it it sort of became evident 
you know, a quarter into the season, maybe even earlier, that the Raptors defense really isn't what it is without an anchoring big man in the middle. Uh, their style of play, their aggressive closeouts, their, their, their aggressive help requires some sort of solid foundation in the paint. And once you take that away and you play aggressive perimeter defense, the whole thing sort of just falls apart. Yeah, that's 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 a really excellent point, and and you you really see that for fans in the know, and you miss that. And for all those fans who criticize Gasol, you know he may not get the most blocks and he may not get the most rebounds, but he's always in the right position. And if players in front of him are in the wrong position, he'll tell them where they need to be. So he really is a great anchor uh, for any team defensively. I'm not saying he's worth a ton of money, and I'm certainly not saying you know he's an amazing center at this point in his career, but he's certainly competent and he can certainly help any roster heading into the playoffs when you're facing a real quality big. Yeah. But regards to the center position, I felt that that became, it was evident that that was a problem quite early on. Yeah. I, I don't think we needed to wait till like three fourth of the season or two third of the season before addressing that, that position. But Masai sort of held his, held his ground. He he tried Alex Len there for a bit. Uh, maybe he expected Chris Boucher to play even a bigger role, or maybe he ex- expected Aaron Baines to sort of bounce back. None of those things happened. And what ended up happening is the Raptors just lost a lot of winnables games. I think we lost to pretty much the bottom four teams in each conference this year because not, you know, in close games where we weren't able to maybe corral a rebound, we, we were dead last in rebounding rebounding all year long by a distance, right, in rebounding rate. But Masai sort of stood by. H- how did you react to his his inaction there? I was upset. As a lawyer, we call that not just negligence, but gross negligence. So if it's obvious to, you know, in the no fans like you and me, I know it's obvious to Bobby Webster and Masai. And it was really painful watching the games knowing that this team just wasn't, the construction was all wrong and they were built to lose, you know, uh, they were just, they're too small at the guard position. They're putting way too much stress on uh, Siakam and Ananobi to rebound. Uh, you had Chris Boucher, who weighs about 175 pounds, uh, you know, soaking wet, uh, trying to muscle up against whomever. Uh, we just didn't have enough beef and, and competent size. You know, we had size in Alex Lynn. I think he had one good game for the Raptors. He had a few threes from the corner. Maybe that was against the Wizards. I don't remember. Uh, but it just wasn't enough. And it was, it was obvious to guys like you and me. And I know it was painfully obvious to Bobby Masai. I really don't, if you get them on the podcast one day, I'm sure that they had a good reason for it. Maybe there just wasn't enough out there or who knows what they were do- doing. Cause these GMs, they just don't sit by and they, they, they field calls every day. That's what you do as a GM and as president of basketball ops, you're, you're, you're looking for opportunities. I'm sure they were, I, I fully trust these guys. Uh, it was just unfortunate because the product on the court really suffered. But the good news is, no Toronto fan really needed to go because they were playing in Tampa. So if you're going to punt on a season, this was a great season to punt on. Yeah. And I think that that was sort of even the the attitude at the, in preseason was that this was going to be a bridge year. That bridge was supposed to be to the River Giannis, but that never really happened. <laughs> uh, but it was supposed to be kind of like a development year, kind of see how Siakam bounces back, see what OG's next step are coming out of the bubble, how they would kind of react. Assess for me kind of like the Raptors core going forward in terms of 
like, are you excited about the core that we currently have? Well, and I'll tell I, you what, I, I'm going to, before I answer that question, I want to ask you a question mm-hmm. because it relates directly to the core. Yeah. How do you feel about the Norman Powell for Gary Trent and Rodney Hood trade? Uh, well, Rodney Hood is uh, irrelevant in that in, in that equation. He's like Planck's constant. <laughs> leave, leave, leave him aside. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would love to have re-signed Norm, but financially, apparently it wasn't it wasn't feasible. So my first right. choice would have been definitely to re-sign Norm because he's a guy who knows how to play with the rest of the group. And yeah. when he starts, he finds his rhythm. There's enough of a sample size at this point where when Norm starts, he's a different player than he's coming off the bench. So, so and, and fit is so important. When you see him in Portland, you see that you see how he's not really fitting with the rest of the team. They're playing at, at different styles, obviously. But in Toronto, I felt like he became a good fit and we gave up a good fit for financial reasons. Do I like Gary Trent Jr.? I do. I think in two years, he has the potential to be better than Norman Powell if things go a certain way for him. So I'm not, I'm not terribly upset about, about that, about that trade. What what do you think? So I'm going to punch you back on a few points here. Number one, if you get Rodney Hood as a throw in salary filler, that's great because you can see what he does or doesn't do because we just needed talent Mm -hmm. and he's a wing player. He's a wing scorer. If he plays great, then, Hey, we might have something here. Who knows? You sign up for a one-year deal if he's playing as he's playing right now, which is kind of just, I don't know what you would give him in terms of a grade, but it wouldn't be higher than a C. You know, I just don't think he's a good fit, but you got a chance to see a guy essentially for free. Um, as it relates to the core, look, Gary Trent Jr. is a way better dresser than uh, Norman Powell. And he has a way better haircut. And he's only 22 and he's under contract. So I was upset at the deal when it came down because Norman Powell was one of our guys. You know, it's really hard uh, losing one of your guys when every time you think of that guy, he's just beating down the bucks and you think of Grievous Vasquez and he's just a bucks killer. And he, that dunk he had against Indiana, like he's, he, he's like our son, you know, you, 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 you love him. Uh, but, and you hate to see him go, uh, but it was a good deal in hindsight because you're locking up Trent who's only 22. Uh, and, and back to your initial question about the core, I am kind of excited about the core because I do like the prospect of Trent growing with the team. Uh, I, I'm still a believer in Siakam as a number two option. He's a number two option on a championship team back in 2019. Fans got to understand he's not a true number one. He was never intended to be a true number one. He's not, he's like what a 24th overall pick, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, Van Vliet, I has, I think has the potential to be an all-star. So you have an NOG, of course, who is just a Swiss Army knife in terms of defenders. So I like that core of Van Vliet, uh, OG, and uh, Trent, and uh, uh, Siakam. And then who else? whoever else you add, you add. Um, that's four competent players. A lot of people are, are, are high on Malachi Flynn. Uh, I'm not as high uh, on Malachi. I think he'll be a competent player. Uh, but I just think his, his shooting is just woeful for a guy who's so short. I like that he competes. Um, I think he's got some good mentorship in Fred and Kyle, but I just think that like, I, I know I can shoot the basketball better than he can. I'll yeah. give him credit in the fourth quarter. He really steps up, uh, and he's a good defender. I just hope he works on, on the shot. So if he yeah. works on the shot, maybe he's a part of that core and you go forward and, and, and all the fans got to keep in mind too, you know, Boucher has been, he's been great. He's overachieved. 
Um, but a lot of his blocks are kind of blocks that you're out of position, so you need to make a big block, you know. And if he's in position, like if you look at Marcus All, he doesn't get nearly the block, same block numbers as Boucher does. But the reason Boucher gets these crazy block numbers is a lot of the times the guy's out of position. How many times has Boucher fouled guys on three-point shots? Like it's unbelievable this season. And, and Boucher's a bit older than we think. I compare him to like DeLon Wright in a sense. You know, DeLon Wright, uh, he's an older player and look where he is now. He's basically traded for Corey Joseph, you know, to, to help another team tank. Uh, I, I don't want the same thing to happen to Boucher, but I'm not putting a lot of stock in Boucher. So I think the Raptors are very thin on that front line. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the core, too, because I think we, we've gotten into this habit sort of like championship or bust. Like either we're competing for the title where we're aiming for the you know, East finals or we sort of we sort of suck when there is a very happy medium in between. And I think, you know, as we as we followed the Raptors throughout the Chris Bosh years, you know, we saw them hovering around that, you know, sixth to seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh spot. And we all knew that was fool's gold. Right. Yeah. It's a it's 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 you're in the postseason, but you're not really going anywhere. And w- when I compare it to this Raptor team, it, it's almost the opposite. You're not in the postseason, but you are going somewhere, provided a couple of small adjustments are made. Maybe you get lucky in the draft or, or you, 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 you know, you shore up the center position. So there's a lot of room for optimism, I, I find, despite the uh, d- despite the league position. My, my, my biggest fear is us not being able to resign Masai Ujiri. Mm-hmm. And that's my biggest fear because so long as Masai is here, I know that he will build a good foundation and, and will be okay. Uh, if he just leaves to do some crazy thing, like, you know, saying I'm, I'm going to now go run my giants of Africa pro- program. I've been paid billions of dollars, you know, good on him, but uh, we lose him. We got a problem. So that's my biggest fear going forward. And his contract is up at the end of the season. And uh, if I were MLSD, I just pay him whatever he wants. Here's your check. Go do your thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. And back on the Raptors championship or bus, you know, you and I remember those quote unquote dark days, whether it's the Bargnani days or the Bosch days or the mighty mouse Damon Stoudemire days. So it's nice to see that there is something going forward for the team. I like that. But I think also the narrative needs to be flipped is nobody talked about it in, in the media or too few people talked about it in the media. The last year, the bubble year when the Raptors overachieved and they had a great season, they were a pleasure to watch. What happens if Kawhi re-signed for one year, that bubble year? You know, are they beating the Celtics? Would it take seven games against the Celtics? They'd probably beat them in five or six. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're steamer on the East and they probably beat the Lakers too. Cause the Lakers weren't like LeBron and AD are strong players, but, as, as a team, as a team unit, they weren't as strong as the Raptors. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I would love to hear more about that narrative about what if Kawhi resigned, if Kawhi resigned, you know, you'd have all these other guys resign, you get a few buyout guys who are chasing a ring. And that whole complaint about Kawhi playing in cold weather, well, we would have been playing in Orlando the whole year. Uh, I, I just I think mean, there's not the, enough what's emphasis. What's the point of chasing that narrative? Like it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to relive it and revive it and, 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 and say, you know, what, Kawhi is an idiot for, for going to the Clippers and then getting trounced in, in, in whatever the second round by the Nuggets. And who knows what's going to happen this year? Like, if they don't win this year, like Steve Ballmer is going to rip out the two hairs that are on his head. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it'll be a, a, a real problem if, he's, if they don't win. Yeah, I mean, and, and so going back to the core, uh, I mean, let's let's dig into a couple of guys. I mean, you mentioned Siakam already. He's ta- he's taken a lot of heat. Um, like I find for, 
uh, you know, like once you check your expectations of, of him and you view him as really a, a lesser version of Chris Bosh, is that, is that accurate? What, what do you think of that? I don't know about Chris Bosh, but uh, you know, the, the, the comp is right that Chris Bosh is in a number one, you know, star. If, if that's the comp you're trying to make mm-hmm. correct, he's not a number one star. He's a, he, he's a good piece on a championship team and he's proven that in the past guy had COVID this year and like physically he, he looks after he came back from COVID, he looks runnier. He didn't look as big and as strong. I can only imagine what he went through. It's probably not easy for him living in, in Tampa. Um, you know, I, I, I give him a pass on this season and everybody's scouting him. Like he's the number one guy and that's, that's yeah. difficult. He, he did a great job last year in the bubble. This year was difficult, but he'll bounce back. And if there's another number one guy that the Raptors can score, whether that's off free agency or through the draft or through some crazy trade, like when we got Kawhi, he'd be fantastic. And then growing in the future, it wouldn't surprise me. So, so Siakam has been an all-star. Let's not forget that he's been an all-star. It would not surprise me if Fred Van Vliet becomes an all-star mm-hmm. next season or in the next few seasons. Yeah. Uh, he, he was great in spurts this year. Uh, he's a great competitor. Uh, he can defend. Oh man, his defense for a small guy is fantastic. Yeah. And I think Jack talks about those heavy hands in the post. Uh, he's, I, I, I can't say enough about Fred, how, how tremendous he's been. So, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's an also, so you potentially have two all-stars and then everybody seems to love Ananobi. Um, I know why, but I, I, I think he still has a lot more room to grow in Ananobi as well. So yeah. yeah, and if you look at Siakam's sort of to-do list for this offseason, it, it resembles DeRozan's to a large degree, That's right? Good. It's ball handling, it's uh, outside shooting, uh, and it's it's playmaking, which he's done actually quite quite well on. And f- for DeRozan, we sort of waited for a few years for him to develop that, and the and and he finally addressed it when he was in San Antonio, but he didn't really address them while he was with the Raptors. So the question for Siakam for me is how quickly is he able to do his homework on those three points? Is it going to be uh, like kind of long tail like DeRozan or is it going to be another bump in, in, in his game, which maybe will happen next year? So that's to, to me, that's the, the key question to answer. I, be, I believe in Siakam. I'm, I, I'm okay with him. Um, yeah, I don't leave it at that. Yeah, I, I'm a believer. I'm not one of these Tampa fans who's going to come out and boo him. And there's probably that probably represents the minority, uh, but there's just a lot on his plate. I think he's he's done commendably well. Yeah. So uh, let's move to Kyle Lowry for a second. The Raptors were actively trying to trade him. Uh, there was no secret about it um, at, at the deadline. Uh, I think uh, even the media members said his goodbyes. I mean, they were they were like hugging, and you know, it, it was it was all over. Uh, and then the trade deadline passed and nothing happened and, and, and he's still there. How do you think that situation should play out? Like, are you, are you cool with giving Kyle another year deal or are you looking at the sign and trade market, maybe go to Philly and get some of their low end well, prospects or what? what it, the 76ers, they had a chance to win the championship this year mm-hmm. and the championship would have been trading for Lowry and giving up whoever it is, Mike Scott in salary or Danny Green in salary, because both those players aren't playing crunch time minutes in a final, and then throwing in one or two young guys, whether that is Maxi or Tybal or whatever it is. And the fact that Daryl Morey wasn't willing to pull the trigger, I think will be their downfall to securing a championship. They may come out of the East, uh, but whoever they play in the West, uh, I, I don't think they're going to win. 
And that's because they don't have a, a true point guard who can knock down the three like Kyle Lowry. And if you re, if you if you have Kyle Lowry and you make a run, you know he's going to resign because he's going to want to end up in Philly at the end of the day, which would be great. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate what happened with Kyle, and I'm I'm, I'm sorry that we weren't able to trade him uh, because he should be playing meaningful minutes for a contender. Because him playing these meaningless minutes in Tampa is just it's dangerous to his health. It's dangerous to his value. And he's a sort of player, uh, much like PJ Tucker, how he's been revived in Milwaukee. You need, he needs to play meaningful minutes. And if he's not, he's just not the same player. And that could have been done in Philly. And uh, I, I have a lot of disdain for Philly for not pulling the deal and not making the deal happen. That was akin to the Raptors trading for Gasol when we traded away Valanciunas and DeLon Wright. That was a lot to give up because Jonas, you know, he put up like 20 some odd rebounds against us a few nights ago, and he's a double-double machine for many years to come. Uh, but when you have a chance to win the championship, you got to go for it. And I think Philly did, and they missed that window by not acquiring Lowry. Yeah, I think the Raptors showed their cards a little too early on that uh, on that deadline. Uh, I think it was pretty common knowledge that they were actively trying to trade Kyle Lowry. And uh, I think that probably had an effect on the price you would get for him on the market. And Philly sort of stuck to their guns. Either Messiah was asking too much or Philly was was cheap, as, as, as you're suggesting. But either way, I think there was too much information um, out there uh, that, that kind of drove uh, Lowry's price down. And the rappers were also kind of openly saying that it's, it's also cool if he stays. And I was like, how is that cool? Like, no, nothing no. about this makes sense. No, I don't. I, like, like he's not playing games right now and that's, I, that's okay, but it's just a lot of salary. You know, you, you got to look at the team in terms of where you're spending your money and the majority of our salary is being spent on Kyle Lowry. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that salary needs to be activated and used. And if it's not, Every time you, you walk into on the court, you're basically in the hole. If you just compare the salaries of the two teams in terms of which team salaries are activated and being used and which salaries are not. Yeah. So it, it, towards the tail end of the season, man, I, I think pretty much everybody was trying to figure out if the Raptors want to make the play-in or the postseason or if they don't. And honestly, until they rested their all their healthy guys until a week ago or so, only then it became crystal clear that they were basically tr- not trying to win games or not not doing their best to win games. W- w- were you in that state of mind where you were trying to figure out what this team is about uh, in, in the final it third of the really, season? It was really hard to understand what was going on. And I, I don't know. Part of it is you have some guys in the team who really compete. But then it hit me in the Washington game. And I watched that game and I watched the huddle around Nick Nurse. So it was a meaningful game, I suppose, for the play-in. But if it was so meaningful, why why is Lowry sitting? And you had all these guys huddled around Nick Nurse. And I think somebody on maybe Raptor Republic put it up there. But the amount of focus of guys like Freddie Gillespie and Yuta Watanabe, guys who might not be in the league next year, they were just really engaged. And then it hit me. These guys are playing for contracts. They want to be in the league next year. And that's why they're competing so hard. And not only that, you have a genius coach like Nick Nurse who knows how to, you know, make a game plan and not only make a game plan, but if whoever goes down with injury, he's okay with that. You know, he can just muster something up in the kitchen and away you go. So it's a real testament to Nick Nurse that he has these guys, you know, listening 
and the guys are competing and nurse has a very good game plan game after game. And I think Jack talks about it on the broadcast. He says, you know, a lot of opposing coaches, they look at what the Raptors do defensively uh, the previous night and they try to mimic that the next time they play that team. And that's a testament to Nick nurse and his coaching staff. And you look at Nick nurse's coaching tree. He's been in the league. What? This is his third season. And there are already two head coaches, Nate Bjorkman and the British guy. I forget his name on Minnesota. Uh, they're already head coaches because they were with Nick Nurse. That's remarkable to do that in such a short period of time. So, yeah. and if you count the assistants, he's going to have he's got people in LA, and, and so it's 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 head coaches, yeah. yeah. But even assistant coaches, he's he's falling out there. I didn't even think of that, but it's it's remarkable. So Nick Nurse, Masai Ujiri, it's a top down thing, and. I think when Gary Trent came down here, he was complimenting just the professionalism of the organization. Um, it's it's a good system, and I, I hey, is that, isn't that great? To, great to just be a part of that. You're part of a competent organization, not part of it, but you support a competent organization. I still have to pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, oh my god, I don't have to worry so much because we're we're in we're in more or less good hands. Yeah, and it feels good knowing that, you know, we had to see Tyler Hansborough being put out, you know, in a playoff series and starting lineup or, you know, oh, the Raptors signed Primoz Brezic. So, you know, hurrah, hurrah, here comes a championship. There was so much incompetence before. I think Tim Lewicki got here. Yeah, I, I think that was a huge turning point, Tim Lewicki, in terms of what he did to the organization and getting the getting the 905, frankly, and, and having that ability to see players play uh, one game in Mississauga, and then in the in, in the evening they'll play in Toronto simultaneously. How many times did you see guys like Van Vliet and Pirtle, you know, play uh, basically a double ender? They played for the nine hundred five, and then for for the the, the big club. Yeah. Uh, it's been great. Yeah, Lewicki is a good good point because I remember him coming in at the tail end of the Colangelo era, and one one of the first things he did was he basically promoted Brian Colangelo to manage the All Star game. Uh, right to go, hey, Brian, you're going to be the all-star guy, get us the all-star game. You're more on the marketing side than you are on the yeah. basketball side. And even though Laiweki was here for what, I'd say two years, like actively, he was here for something eight. like that. It, it wasn't very long, but he he made a great impression on, on the franchise. That's really Huge impression. And he got uh, Masai here, got him back from Denver. So like when you, when you, when you write the Raptors history book, that, 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 introduction of Laiwiki for those couple of years and not just rappers by the way also uh on the tfc side he, he had a big yeah. impact as well so he's a personality that that really often is kind of lost in the mix but deserves a huge amount of credit for where the raptors are today so zarar you're you're an old head like me longtime fan you know describe to me the feeling that you have knowing that the toronto raptors used to be the graveyard for nba players this was the last stop yeah, And now when you tune into your league pass and you see Raptors scattered throughout X Raptors all around the NBA, does that make you feel good? So man, it, it, what makes me feel especially good is whenever I tune into league pass, I've, I've always watched the opposing broadcast uh, since, since day one, since league pass came out, I've always checked out the opposing commentators to see what their opinion of the Raptors are just because you want to get a different perspective. And if you just monitor that heartbeat, it has done a complete 180. When the Raptors are talked about, they're talked about with almost a reverence when it comes to management, especially their 905 development, uh, how hard they play on the court, how well coached they are, how despite whatever injury, whatever who's playing, who's not playing, you know you're going to be in for a game. You don't hear up in Canada 
cold up and you know players like tying themselves to the locker room a la Kenny Anderson who didn't want to get traded there so all that is is part of our part of our history that is I'm glad it's our history so uh, part of the reason I tuned into leak pass is to almost kind of like feel good about the team because it's just comp- it's so complimentary and when these compliments are coming from the from the from your competitors it just feels that much better and and you sort of get not vindicated, but you just feel good about it. So yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 obviously been 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 fantastic, and and I think there's more to come. Uh, there's no reason to believe that we are not going to be we are not going to be on the ascendancy again um, next season. I, I think it'll take some time. Unfortunately, really, last year I feel like the bubble year was our year. If Kawhi had come back, I'm confident we would have gone back to back. I really am. I really am. I just. I don't think the Lakers is a championship team. Look, they deserve it. They play great, but that's not to say the Raptors wouldn't have beat them yeah. uh, with Kawhi and a few other signings who are ring chasers. Yeah. I just don't think the East was that strong. And I think the the Raptors, they overachieved so well last year. If they had that plus Kawhi, it was like mind-blowing that he wouldn't resign to get another ring. I mean, I mean, hey, man, I, I mean... Kind of, I, I kind of wish this upon him that he doesn't get another ring after he left Toronto. Of course, after he of that. course, of course. Of course, I, anybody who's who's cheering for Kawhi is is basically lying to themselves. That's no, I'm, I I don't lie. I just say like I don't want Kawhi Leonard to win. He left here and he could have won. He could have won another. He could have won another and another and another. Uh, he had everything he could have wanted here except for some palm trees. Yeah. And the reality of these NBA guys is, you know, you play what is it, uh, 72, 80 game season, whatever it is. I I forget now because of COVID. And then so half those games are on the road. And then you're off season. You're not really spending in Toronto. You're spending in California, mm-hmm. and you have the rest of your life to live in California. This is a time to cement your legacy and put yourself in the best basketball position there is. And if the best basketball position is playing with pandemic P, meaning Paul George, uh, you really gotta check your head on that. Yeah, I, I mean, at hometown. I don't know, man. I, I'm not in that position. I don't know how much that means to people. Um, I always hear it as an excuse. I mean, Damon used that as an excuse when he when he was like longing for Portland. Did you remember that? <laughs> you know, he, he wanted to go back to Portland. I mean, Tracy McGrady wanted to go back to Orlando. Orlando, can you believe I mean, that? I want to play in Orlando. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, you know what? But 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 going back to your bubble point about uh, you know if Kawhi was here, I don't think we needed Kawhi, man. We just needed average Pascal Siakam. Oh. Just average, <laughs> not spectacular. Just you, average. You, you know what? You, you know what? The, the 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 thing is, when you're the number one option for the team, and everyone's game planning for you, and yeah. he was carrying such a huge offensive load, I just think it wears on you. And then we ran into the Celtics, which is the worst matchup for us. It really was. It was a terrible matchup. And for a guy like Siakam, and they had so many guys that they could throw at Pascal, uh, it, it was hard. We took him to seven. You know, we took him to seven. To their credit. You know, just cool. if Kawhi's there, it's a different story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about Birch a little bit. So Birch, uh, late addition to the season, obviously. And uh, as soon as he came in, I felt like, yeah, we got a guy who can catch the ball, which is always good. It's always good to have hands. Uh, <laughs> but also, like, this entire set of plays sort of opened up for the Raptors, where now they could run pick and rolls where now they could count on their center to pass if they got trapped. Uh, so let me let me ask you something. When Birch was on the Magic, what was your impression of him? 
uh, man, I had seen him play maybe twice. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the one of those times was might might be against the Raptors, and another time he he showed up on a on a highlight. Who the hell watches Orlando, man? <laughs> I mean, I, I have maybe, maybe I'll tune into a Magic game by accident a couple of times no, a year. But look, in fairness, the Raptors play the Magic so much regular season and playoffs. It's really impossible for a true Raptor fan not to watch Magic games. Yeah. So. Yeah. My my impression of Birch was just like, this guy's a jobber. Like, yeah, he's Canadian, but I, I mean, I thought absolutely nothing of him. Yeah. Just he's a big body. Not even he's not even that big. I mean, he's kind of slender, yeah. you know. Uh, and then we got him, and I thought, oh my goodness, finally a competent center. So in my mind, whenever I see him, I call him competent Ken, right? Because you know it was so dark with uh, with Baines with that Baines and Boucher situation. And now we have a competent center. So, yeah, it, it opened up the whole floor. Finally, we can defensive rebound. We're actually getting offensive rebounds. We're not getting pushed around as much. Uh, it's nice to see. But I, I just want to caution Raptor fans. I think Kem is only competent. Yeah. I don't think he's a level above competent. But that's all the you need, don't you? The NBA is you have levels above competent that are going to beat down the competent players, much like Birch was getting beat down on the Magic. Okay, okay. I, I'll push back on you on that one because I don't necessarily think we need him to be more than just competent. Because if you look at his role on the team, it's not necessarily to outplay his opposition night in, night out. It's how he interplays with the rest of the guys and what he unlocks or enables with the guards, especially that counts more. Uh, so I'll give you an example. You know, when he came in, the Raptors started running that play they used to run with Ibaka, where it was like a short short pick and roll from the elbow, and Ibaka had that little mid-range jumper, which he was able to finish without picking up an Money offensive play. Money play. Money play. You know I mean, it's, 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 that was, that, that was Ibaka's are, bread and butter. Are you going to run that clip right now? Because I hope you do, because it's money play. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the kind of stuff that Birch brings. Simple stuff. That is not gonna wow anybody, but it does. It, like, like it, it, it gives you a lot more in other areas than just what he brings. So we don't need him to be spectacular. We just no, need him to be. You're, you're right, but he, he, we would be that much better if he had a better shooting touch. So on that pick and roll, you know, for that ten foot jumper that Ibaka was so money on. Uh, if Birch can hit it at a higher clip, it would make the team that much better. So I agree with you. We don't need him to be a level above competent, but I always want more. I want more than competent. Yeah. So it's my hope that we can sign or draft somebody or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's a serviceable player. I want Kem Birch back, make no mistake. Uh, but I also want more from my front court uh, position. Yeah. Well, 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 let's round off on the uh, on the bench a little bit. Uh, we, we talked about OG a little bit, Siakam. Um, you know, Birch is probably going to be starting next year. Uh, the Raptors bench right now, it, it's led by who exactly? It's, it's Chris Boucher and Malachi Flynn. And then it, go, it, it becomes kind of dark with like, you know, Stanley Johnson comes into play. Uh, you know, that, that's got to be an area of concern for, for, for the Raptors. I mean, it's something to address this, this offseason. If, if Stanley Johnson gets the ball in the break and goes one on four into a sea of four defenders one more time, uh, I'm going to throw a brick through my TV screen. Uh, he plays with such with no control. 
uh, it, he's clearly worked on his three point shot. So he's put in some work at the gym. So I'll give him credit for that. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm, he, he had his, his shine this year at the start of the year. He, he had some great moments. I, I just, I, I don't see him around the league or this roster. Um, that bench, like you mentioned, it gets time kind of dark. I don't trust Watanabe. Uh, I don't trust Flynn. Um, Boucher has been bright. He's had a good year, but I don't think, I don't trust him is what I'm getting at. He's had a good year. I'm going to give him his credit. I don't trust him to repeat what he did this year, next year. Uh, I just think it's a bit inconsistent. And uh, I just think we need more players, which is, again, goes back to my point on Rodney Hood. You had to try a guy who's competent. And if Rodney Hood was competent, you know, that's another guy. I just think we're very thin. Uh, and we're not, certainly not deep. If you look at the Grizzlies, um, they're, they're a deep team, you know, starters to bench. And the Raptors need to build that. And that's why also I mentioned Dewan Hernandez, because you don't want to whiff on those picks. You want to keep building that pipeline and building that pipeline. You know what I didn't understand? We had we were in dire need of a front court player, and we had a guy, Alize Johnson, you know, yeah. the Raptors 905, and then the Nets signed him and they signed him to another contract. And I, I I don't know if he's still there, but I just wanted to know, like, we had him in our organization. Why didn't we give that guy a shot? I, I, I've asked people who cover the 905 for uh, for RR, and 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 I've asked this to you know people who know, and, and they do not have an answer for that question. They they literally cannot answer that question. Maybe he's got it's an attitude problem. I don't know. Yeah, I want to know. That's that's the problem with covering the team. You know, when they're playing in in, in Tampa or in a bubble, wherever that G League bubble was is you don't get that little bit of anecdotal information of mm -hmm. he's really nice because he signed a bunch of basketballs for kids and I saw it, or he's a real jerk because a bunch of kids were waiting by the sidelines and he kind of brushed them off. Yeah. And that's the hard thing about covering the team, not having them in, in, in our city right now is we don't get those little tidbits, which will give us more and more insight. And it, it just makes following the team very difficult. And, and certainly the jobs for everyone at RR are more difficult. Yeah. Uh, let's round off on uh, on Nick Nurse. Uh, you, uh, and it's tied to the bench. Uh, you may recall, like, throughout the season, you know, he's had some lineups that have been quite fluctuating. He's never really had a rotation all year long. I'm talking about, like, pre-COVID, uh, like, pre like, pre when everybody got sick. Even before that, like, like, we used to go eight, nine deep on the bench and different guys every night. And that pattern sort of continued for the entire season. He never really found that rotation that would click for him um you know ever really this season i don't think we ever had like an eight-man rotation it was always fluctuating what did you make of that was that sort of like necessary because as you said we don't really have a bench or should we should we have kind of sorted that out a little earlier see now that i've seen and you've seen too and raptors seen, team fans have seen what a championship team looks like we saw it we just don't have the talent and before I saw what it was like to have a championship team that I loved, I'd tell you, you know, we got to do this and this, and this needs to be done. And this needs to be done. Just the truth is we just don't have the talent. A lot of these guys, where are they going to be in a few years? Chances are they won't be in the NBA. Okay. And that speaks volumes because if they were good NBA players at their young ages, they would be tied down to multi-year deals. And, uh, my bet is a lot of these guys will not be in the NBA. If they are in the NBA, they will be 12th men on the bench on, on good teams or playing on garbage teams. Um, so my answer to that is we just don't have the NBA talent. 
and we need to stockpile talent. Um, and yeah. I hope to see what uh, I, I'm looking forward to see what Masai and Bobby do in that respect. Well, let's see what happens in the draft because that's going to be the first thing that's going to happen as the Raptors aren't going to make the playoffs. I, I kind of wanted to make the playoffs, man. The play and I was excited about it. I kind of wanted to get something, some sort of do or die game uh, th- this uh, this season. I, I didn't. I mean, I don't really follow the draft that closely this year. And you know, frankly, like, what's the difference, man? I mean, you know, pick here, pick there. I, mean, I don't know. What, what did you? Were you all in for the play in or what? It didn't matter. Like play in. I mean. I want to see the city derive enjoyment from whatever it is. And right now we can't assemble. Uh, the games are not in Toronto and you have a fan base in Tampa, which frankly disrespects the team. Yeah. And that's the truth. Uh, so they're lucky enough in Tampa to get NBA basketball and to assemble uh, and they're going and they're booing the quote unquote home team. It's just, I, that really upset me. Um, so but the, 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 I, that, that was in Raptor fans, though. Those, those just like some some Americans who got the tickets to a basketball game, right. and you know, what from you Tampa, from from the Florida area. And if if they want more entertainment, like NBA basketball, coming to you know that part of Florida, uh, maybe it's a good idea to show a bit more love to the team that you're hosting and the players you're hosting. Uh, that's my take on it. You know, I, I'm not suggesting that they're true Raptor fans or you know, NBA fans for that matter. But if you're, you're a sport fan, you paid the money, you're entitled to boo. Uh, it's just really, it, it was really hard for me to, to hear that sort of thing. Cause I know that would never happen in Toronto. It just wouldn't, you know, maybe, maybe to Vince Carter when he's tipping off signs back in the day, <laughs> but uh, it just, it wouldn't happen in Toronto. I, I think Vince got booed. I, I recall Vince boo- being booed explicitly once. And that was after a made basket. Okay. It's when he when when he chose to lay the ball in the, the layup, not dunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah layup, not dunk. Yeah. All right, all right, Brian. Man, it was great talking to you, man. Thank you for uh, supporting uh, the site and and the podcast. Like you're a friend of the site, and uh, we we're we're, we're we're glad you're partnering with us. Thank you, and, and guys, keep up the good work over there. I know it's been a hard season covering this team, but you guys do tremendous work, and your voice is very important not only to like Raptor Nation or, and all the Raptor fans out there, but just basketball and the sport of basketball in general in Canada. Uh, I need to see more basketball highlights instead of curling highlights on TV. And uh, I think Raptors Republic kind of fills that void and kind of pumps it up. And I really appreciate that. Awesome, man. Thank you.